0: Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry.
1: We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth.
0: What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates?
1: How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients?
0: What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry and what are companies doing about it?
1: So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered.
0: And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers.
1: Welcome to the fifth episode of the IPHO podcast. Just to recap a little bit of what we talked about on last episode, uh, we had Ralu Vlad on, who is the vice president and development program lead of oncology global drug development at at Bristol-Myers Squibb. And I have to tell you, if, if you don't know this already, there's not a lot of pharmacists in this role. I don't know, Sergio, are you aware of a lot or is that unique? I, I know, I know a handful,
0: but you know, there's certainly a small number of these positions, and then you know, certainly a small number of pharmacists who occupy them. So it's uh, it's a pretty prestigious role.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty impressive, and really enjoyable talking to a really just a normal normal person. So a great conversation. So if you didn't have a chance to listen to her, feel free to tune into episode four and uh, something really interesting that I I, I found. Uh, particularly intriguing is kind of the route she took bouncing between clinical, regulatory, medical, and then some unique opportunities that weren't always in her, in her line of
0: sight, but ended up working out. So um, there's, there's definitely something there to learn. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing that I found really interesting was just the approach to career strategy um, from somebody who's, you know, been in several different roles. And You know, it also happens to be the time of year when lots of fellows are now completing their fellowship programs and they're moving on to new opportunities, full-time opportunities. Um, I can think back to when I had finished up the program, it was some time ago, Um, but there's some areas of advice I think I'd have for myself looking back and approaching that first role post-fellowship, and I'm sure you have some, some ideas too.
1: Yeah, number one, just relax a little bit, dude. (laughs) <laughs> Transition, yeah. years. Transition years are the hardest. I remember from undergrad to grad school, grad school to fellowship, fellowship to career. Those are some challenging years, high stress, but um, it, it all works out in the end. It's also
0: your first job post-fellowship. It's not your last job. You better hope and that's not your last job. Correct. I mean, I admire folks who can stay at the same company for 20 or 30 years. That's certainly not so common anymore. The the norm these days is folks who are switching around between companies. And so the, the practical reality is, um, yes, that first position post fellowship is important. It's a major milestone for you. Um, but it's not going to be the last job that you have in the industry, not by a long
1: shot. No, even the people who stay at the same company, I I'm, I'm, I've been at the same company throughout and I, I'm on my one, two, three, fourth, fifth role. And the role is always changing and always something interesting to learn. So, yeah, that first job is really critical as a foundation, but it's it's not your last job by any means. At least, I mean, I, I hope it's not because you don't want to, you know, be in the same place thirty years later. People who do that tend to be in bouncing around, having you know new challenges, new opportunities. So um, it,
0: that's why the if I could go back, tell myself just relax a little bit. It's yeah, okay. Totally. And you know, the other thing that was, was salient and looking back on it is I had this concept of coming out of the fellowship program that I was on my own and, you know, I need to figure this out. I'm, you know, a full time employee now. And, you know, I, I was probably being a little bit too hard on myself because I there's plenty of all, all that same support that exists as you are going through your fellowship program, it'll be there in your, you know, f- full time role as well. I still had my manager, my VP, who was supportive of me, and I, I had the luxury of staying at the same company. But the point is, there, there are still folks there who are, you know, in, there to help enable you be, to be successful in the role that you are taking on, and lean on those people. You know, you don't feel like you have to solve every problem and, and be the expert from from day one. And you know, people say you, know, you continue learning throughout your career. And that's true. So you'll, you're going to continue learning during that first role post fellowship, and in every role after that, it's a continuous learning process.
1: Was it the unknown of what the post fellowship first job may look like, how that would, what the infrastructure of the organization in your position? What was it about?
0: You know, being out of I mean, fellowship, I, I happen I happened to stay in the same organization where I did my fellowship, so I, I basically knew the projects and things that I'd be working on. But I I had assumed that the level of responsibility that I would had would be significantly increased and that I, I would need to be able to make more decisions on my own. And um, while that was certainly true over the longer term, it wasn't like anybody flipped a light switch and all of a sudden you know you were expected to operate 100% independently. I, I still right. had a, a manager that I was reporting to. And that's also because I, I stayed with the same company and I, I was a fellow there and they knew me. Um, I think it would have been a little bit different if I had left my, my host company post-fellowship and gone somewhere else where the expectation I think would have been to hit the ground running.
1: Yeah, potentially. I don't know. I stayed, like I said, I stayed at the same company, but I, I moved uh, to a different manager, someone who I hadn't worked with. And the, for me, the unknown was still a little bit um, a little bit challenging because I, I, I had to learn to work with a new manager and, you know, coming in uh, in fellowship, you're with the same couple managers, maybe one, maybe two, maybe at the most, a handful. So you have the you you understand what the their requirements are. You've developed that rapport, and if you are not able to stay with that preceptor uh, in a position, which is often the case, you have to learn how to uh, work with a new manager. But I don't, I don't think that's a bad
0: thing. I think that the more people you can learn how to work with effectively, the better. I agree. Um... Yeah, the other thing that's obviously changing over now with uh, folks finishing up their fellowship programs is a a new incoming class of fellows who are going to be starting um, in July. And along with that, uh, we'll have a a changeover in the National Fellows Council or the NFC, uh, as we refer to it. Along with that, uh, our Uh, co-leads or the co-chairs of of the NFC will be changing this year it's Nick James and and Sona Patel and we thought now would be a a great time to talk with them a little bit more about um, who they are and what they're looking forward to accomplishing with uh, the NFC this year so let's get to Nick and Sona. Nick and Sona welcome to the show it's great to have you guys this evening um for our listeners, um, could you guys maybe explain your your current positions, where you guys are as, as fellows, um, and also your positions with IPHO?
2: Sure, I can uh, go first. Uh, so, thank you for having us uh, again. My name is Sona. I'm the first year marketing fellow at Rev Health. Uh, so, actually located in Morristown, New Jersey, but fortunately just working remote right now in uh, Southern California. Um, and I am one of the co of the IPHO National Fellows Council, along
1: with Nick. Welcome, Sona, and yeah, trust me, all because you're from Southern California. Once this pandemic ends, I promise you, Morristown isn't so bad. No fires, <laughs> no mudslides.
3: We do get a lot of snow, but it's all right. <laughs>
2: I'm looking forward to it. Nick, what about
1: yeah.
3: you? And um, yeah, so I'm I'm Nick James. I'm uh, a first-year Global Regulatory Affairs Fellow at UCB Pharma, uh, located in Atlanta, Georgia, Uh, originally from upstate New York around the Binghamton area, and a recent graduate from Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Uh, And like Sona, I'm also a a co-chief of the IPHO National Fellows Council. Great.
0: Well, Great to have you on the show. Um, maybe we can start with how and when did you guys become aware of the career options available to pharmacists in the pharmaceutical industry? Because I came to find out about it pretty late. It was I was really in my fifth year on like rotation number two, so I, I was a, a late comer to the process. But so, how did you guys um, you know find out about a career path in in pharma? Maybe Nick, if you want to go first.
2: Sure.
3: Yeah. Um... I'll say I, I feel like I got pretty lucky uh, in my, my pharmacy journey. So originally, when I discovered pharmacy in general, uh, I, I just figured I was going to be some sort of a clinical pharmacist. I, um, I, I shadowed a pharmacist back home at, at uh, UHS Hospital Systems and fell in love with the patient care aspect. But uh, when I entered my, my P1 year, I discovered IPHO. Our school had just started a chapter there. And, you know, it, it was a very young chapter. Um, I think when I went to the first meeting, there were maybe five people there, probably including the e board. And um, I think they had brought a speaker in and they were just talking about some of the experiences that a pharmacist can have in the industry and all these unique opportunities. And I fell in love with it. Um, I was growing frustrated just with some of the. Um, like day to day things that a clinical pharmacist might have to deal with, and I had heard from my friends working in retail settings some of the things they had to deal with, um, and just hearing about the the flexibility and the very unique opportunities a, a pharmacist can have, uh, possibly impacting you know hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of patients. Um, that definitely made me fall in love with it, and then. From there, it was just a slippery slope, like just diving into IPHO and talking with any of the mentors involved at our college or through, through IPHO. Um, just really, how did my you eyes. find those mentors
0: at your school? You know, because I I'm curious about that.
3: Yeah, um, I really, just by word of mouth. Or, or I, I got heavily involved in IPHO. So then, once we started expanding. Um, I guess like resources from, from our campus and getting other teachers or, uh, administrators involved. Um, suddenly, you know, we would be in touch with someone that worked in the industry and then they knew someone and they knew someone, um, a lot of people like on the, uh, like cabinet essentially for our school work in pharma. So I was connected with them, um, bringing in speakers and ultimately by being involved in IPHL, that kind of just, uh, put me in touch with some really amazing people, uh, usually like speakers that were brought in and then we just kind of kept up a, rela- a relationship. That's awesome. Sona, what about you?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so a little bit different. So actually I was um, you know, exposed to pharmacy since I was a little girl, Both my parents are retail pharmacists. Um, and so kind of going into pharmacy school, I knew that, um, you know, I knew about retail pharmacy, but I definitely wanted to see what else there was. Um, and I'm a huge, huge germaphobe. And so I said, definitely can't go into clinical pharmacy. Uh, that's, that's not going to be an option for me. So let me see what else is out there. So I was very fortunate to have an IPTO chapter at my school. Um, and so I joined that my P1 year and was very, very active in that. Um, and like Nick had mentioned, was able to gain a lot of um, mentorships and opportunities to kind of explore and learn a little bit more about different functional areas within industry Um, And I think from that, that's really where I decided that, you know, this was something that I wanted to do. And I uh, was able to obtain different internships, uh, either virtual internships with IPHO or just with other pharmaceutical companies, um, rotations. And that's really what, um, you know, kind of began my journey into industry.
1: And with those internships, were those internships that you kind of crafted, molded, identified, built the relationships, or were they a function of what was available to you from your school.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So um this is just a, a tribute to you know being determined. Um so anyone out there who's listening, um I was actually you know searching and I applied to about a hundred uh companies looking for internships. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Um and so I was very very eager to get an internship with the pharma company. Um, and so that was all on my own terms. Um, I knew that this was something that I wanted to get experience in. I knew how competitive it was to Obtained fellowships, um, and so I just stayed very, very persistent. Um, and it's actually one of the last rounds of interviews, um, kind of coming into the final months of summer, where I uh, actually, you know, got a phone call um, offering the, the position for the internship uh, with Amgen. So that was uh, very fortunate. But again, I think it's just uh, determination, staying positive, um, and, and knowing that if there's a passion for something, you just have to, do, you know, stick with it, and eventually a good opportunity will come.
3: That. Uh- is much more uh, determined than I was because I I applied to, I think 15 internships and didn't hear back from a single one of them. And it it was definitely a a hit to the ego, but um, I guess I I was determined in in the industry, but I gave up on the internship search after that. So kudos.
1: Yeah. that, That shows some resilience. What, what made you keep going?
2: You know, I, I think it really just came down to I knew this was what I wanted to do. I didn't want to, you know, go into retail. I, I was, as I mentioned, you know, cl- clinical route wasn't for me. And so I knew that I had to get something on my resume um, because I knew there was students on the East Coast who had a lot of opportunities and coming from California. Um, you know, I wanted to be, differentiate myself. Um, and so that's what kind of just made me keep applying uh, to as many companies as I could.
0: So other than the internships, what else did you do to try to differentiate yourself, like through the fellowship process?
2: Sure. Um, and so kind of going back to, I guess, rotations. Um, so similarly, I had also uh, reached out to about 20 different hospitals uh, to start rotations uh, for myself. And so I was able to get a partnership with my school, with the Cleveland Clinic, uh, to start that rotation uh with my school. And so I got a rotation there in neurology and informatics. Um, So tried to get something a little bit different, unique, um, that could just help me get a different sort of skill set. And so that's something I kind of just, you know, tried to persistently do throughout my pharmacy career is just do something a little bit different, take on various leadership roles, um, and just, you know, study and try to get good grades (laughs) when I could as well. Um, And so I think that kind of background just comes from my parents and my family just always being um devoted and uh just again kind of pushing myself to you know again reach reach my passion and achieve my goals
1: it's interesting it sounds like the two of you had some foresight in this and Sergio mentioned that he prepared starting in his what did you call it your fifth year I did the I I had a four-year degree it was p3 year for me then is that what it would be
0: yeah, it would have been my P three year. And I, you know, I, I happened upon industry late. I took it as an elective rotation. I, I had no internships prior to that. And um, I remember them mentioning, I think it was in my fourth or fifth week of the rotation. They said, Oh, by the way, we've got this fellowship program. We recruited mid-year. If you're interested, like come and find us. And I I left with kind of the nagging feeling that I really, I really enjoyed that rotation. I really liked the people that I worked with. It was a great environment. Like the work was really stimulating. And so when I got later on into the summer, I was like, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. Like if not now, then like when am I going to do it? Like once I start working in either retail pharmacy or clinical pharmacy, I, I don't think I'd want to go back and do a fellowship. You know, after after doing that for several years. So I, so I took a chance. Um, you know, but I didn't position myself nearly as intelligently as, as you guys have, um, you know, along the way. So, I mean, what would you tell other students now who are, you know, coming up and, you know, considering a path in the industry, um, and they're trying to decide, is this right for them? What do you think, Nick?
3: That's a, that's a good question. Um, Honestly, something that that we get asked a lot, and and I think as we're seeing more students realize the uh, opportunities in industry, it's ironically almost some of the more mainstream opportunities are becoming saturated. So just originally, maybe just having an industry rotation was enough, and that really like caught the eyes of any of the fellowship programs, and uh, would almost make you a shoe in Now there are Plenty of uh, students getting some sort of experience in industry, whether it's an internship or rotation or just being involved in IPO. So I, my advice is always just, and I think Sona alluded to this, just trying to do something different and uh, having a, a diverse background portfolio. Um, one thing that I always bring up is is how important your APPEs can be and If you don't get an industry rotation, it's not the end of the world, but you need to make sure that you take your APP seriously and and think outside of the box. So just don't do the mundane things that are expected of you at like a clinical rotation, right? Um, You should be working on any like longitudinal projects throughout that rotation or sit down with your preceptor or other people and identify, are there any processes that I could change here? Things um, I could help you develop, maybe... Uh, similar to like uh, what like an MBA would do, like tear apart a system, identify what some of the problems are, and put it back together. I think all of those things would really translate well in a, a fellowship role, and it gives you things to talk about in your interviews that are separate from kids that were maybe just kind of coasting through their APPEs or other experiences. Um, and I also, I, I think you should just if if you're getting involved in school and. Obviously, like programs are going to want to see that you're in some sort of like club or organization, or you know have have experiences on your CV. Um, don't be afraid to have fun with it, and and don't kind of stretch yourself across like nine or ten different things. Just get really involved in a couple of things that you like, and then again, like I mentioned, make good changes in those programs. Even if you're just a member, you can do certain drives by yourself, like have some autonomy. Um, how was our golf club president at our college and you wouldn't think that that would translate but that showed like some leadership potential and i was really passionate about it it was something i could speak to um during my interviews so ultimately just just make make a change wherever you are and i, I think that's going to translate well
0: yeah and i you know I, I remember interviewing lots of candidates over the years and some of the things that stick out or even Beyond pharmacy experiences, so getting involved with you know a, a church or a, another social organization that's that's in your area. I mean, if you're passionate about something, you know there are lots of different ways to to get those experiences and, and showcase your your leadership abilities.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's no one formula. I think, and and the two of you have kind of shown a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, and and there's also to Sergio's point, you don't have to have that experience in uh, in the pharmaceutical industry or focused on pharmacy. I can tell you that I did not know what a fellowship was until a few weeks before mid year of my last year. I was (laughs) focused on residency and I spent a lot of time. So I have a PharmD, and MBA, and I spent a lot of time uh, competing in business competitions during school and spending my time that way. I spent a lot of time. uh, I did a a product development internship at one point through the business school Um, and then I was planning on leveraging that into residency experience, potentially in hospital management and whatnot. In about two weeks before mid-year, I had a, another intern at an I was I was uh, involved in. I was down in Florida. I, had, I was down there taking care of my grandmother who was ill for uh, six weeks. And this other intern from another school in Florida was telling me about fellowship at Rutgers and all these awesome opportunities. And I'm going, great, fine whatever. And then she's looking a few days later, you know, this is, this is, you, you would have a, you would be really interested in it. Just check it out. And I started looking and I went, wow, this is kind of what I was looking for and didn't know existed. And it's, mm-hmm. it's really great that both of you were able to find that earlier. And I think that both of you said, um, IPHO kind of led you there. And that wasn't there when I was in school. Um, we've had, I was at university at Buffalo and we didn't really have that history with fellowship. It was clinical or retail. And yeah. I think that the it's the options are broadening around the country.
0: And the good news is, you guys are now fellows, um, you know, <laughs> and you've made it, right? Like you spent a bunch of time talking about, you know, getting here. And I think you know one of the other most common—it's got to be a top three question that I get from from students—is what does an average day look like for you as as a fellow? So, Sona. What does an average day look like for you? There is
2: no average day. <laughs> every day is different. I think every fellow will say that too. Um, it's, there's so many different things going on. There's uh, various meetings. There's um, different projects that you're looking into. Um, every day there's, you know, something that you have to kind of work out or work with your team. Um, but it's really exciting. Uh, I'm, you know, I have to start my day around like six or seven in the morning um, and I'm happy to say that I'm not like dreading waking up. Like, I look forward to waking up and starting the meetings. And um, I love my team members. They're all um, really fun and energetic. And so it makes it fun to kind of wake up and just get things done. We um, typically work almost, you know, nine, 10 hours, 11 hours a day. So it does, um, you know, get very busy throughout the day. But it's, it's nice that everyone is kind of just doing it together. Um, but typical day is, Really, there's, there's just no difficult day. <laughs> Every day
0: is How much different. time are you spending in, in meetings? I'm curious about this because I, I feel like I've been great getting, question. inundated with meetings. <laughs> I'm just curious, like for fellows yeah. who are, you know, in the program now, how much time do you find that you're spending in meetings versus like doing, you know, either reading or working on slides? Like what's that breakdown look like for you guys?
2: For me, it's a little different. So I think in the beginning, um, because I was more on the content development side, it wasn't in as many meetings. Um, but I actually kind of preferred that because I was a little bit more hands-on with all of the projects that we're routing. Um, now that I'm on the account management or account services side, um, I'm in a little bit more meetings. Um, but again, I'm still very hands-on with a lot of the projects, which I think is one of the um, you know, best benefits of being at Rev is that they really put you in there so that you're kind of overseeing as many projects as you can. So that's uh, one of the good things is that you're not just like, in the back burner in meetings. You're actually hands-on being a lead on many, many different projects.
3: What about you, Nick? Um, mine's kind of phasic, I guess. So it, it kind of depends on what projects I'm working on. Um, I, it, for example, like if I'm working on a major submission, potentially we have these roundtable meetings in regulatory affairs. So a bulk of my morning will just be a really long meeting, reviewing a document and going over any comments. Um, And other times, you know, I've only a couple meetings during the day. So I'll I'll say on average, probably like half my day is spent in meetings and the other half is, um, you know, just like Sona said, like working on content or um, any IPHO responsibilities, any longitudinal projects.
0: I'm glad you mentioned longitudinal projects because I I find that, you know, there's a certain amount of um, administrative stuff that I have to do as part of my day. There's kind of routine things like we have our um, promotional review committee, like our MLR process. And those are kind of fixed things that occur every week. You can kind of plan on them. And then there are things that come up that are maybe, you know, extracurriculars, things that are, you know, maybe special projects and stuff like that. Do you have anything, any examples of, you know, like a cool special project that you've had a chance to to work on, something that? be interesting for for students
1: and also that you're allowed to share from your company. (laughs) We don't want to put you in any position here.
2: Um, I guess a quick kind of like high level is that we've been working um, with our client to help uh, redo their whole um, healthcare provider campaign. So that's been really exciting. Uh, We started off with market research and getting insights from different providers. And then from there, really formulating, uh, you know, messages to actually put on, various materials, on their websites, on everything. So that's been an extremely um, fun and exciting process that's probably taken us since I started, so in July, last July.
1: So Sona, now that you're progressing through your first year of fellowship, what's a skill set that you might want to share that you may have been forced to kind of flex a little bit more or lean on uh, during fellowship than you may have as a student?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, one thing that I really had to hone a little bit more was just being a great multitasker. Um, So even though I was able to do it uh, during pharmacy school and, you know, have leadership positions and um, study and just kind of be a pharmacy student, um, now that I'm in my fellowship, um, there's a lot of different projects routing. We have over 100 products or projects for this um, client. Um, Plus there's meetings, there's a lot of people reaching out for different guidance. So really just being able to multitask, uh, think on your, think on my feet, um, and just be able to uh, relay answers uh, effectively and efficiently to other team members so that we're able to get the job done. Um, and just be kind of that one person who's able to kind of work together with the team and be able to demonstrate that, um, you know, you're able to kind of just um, help make like effective decisions so that everyone can kind of move together um, to hit deliverables. I think that's something that Uh, definitely had to kind of work on uh, very quickly with the new account team.
1: And so Sona, you're in a marketing fellowship, perhaps Nick, is that similar for you or is there something different you'd like to share?
3: Yeah. I mean, I I definitely uh, relate to that, the multitasking being in regulatory. There are so many different things going on that uh, we kind of have our hands in. So at, at least in my fellowship, like I was kind of, the lead for a certain indication of one of our um, pipeline products, just like leading a major submission in that. But I was also involved in some work and other indications within that pipeline product. And then all of this background stuff with IPHO. So um, multitasking is definitely huge. And then I I guess just being more driven. I I feel like as as a student, you definitely get that experience and you know that you need experiences to uh, put on your CV and everything, but You know, instead of driving for a CV, now it's just all about curiosity and how can I learn more about the industry or regulatory Um, being at a global company? Not only do I care about uh, like FDA guidelines or um, any precedent set by the FDA, but I'm also looking at the EU. I'm looking at Canada. Um, Now the UK will have their own guidances. So I really get to... I guess, flex that curiosity that before I felt was a little bit more contained in pharmacy school.
0: So the other thing that we get asked about all the time are common misconceptions, things that we think are important as students and fellows in, 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 as part of the application process. So I'm wondering, you know, maybe what's your top uh, one or two misconceptions that you'd like to dispel for any pharmacy students that are thinking about uh, applying to a fellowship?
3: I think one of the top ones that we hear is people that might not be as familiar with the industry, just assume that it's a pharmacist sitting at a lab bench and kind of pipetting things, doing research. And uh, that's what these fellowship programs are going to be looking for, like very extensive research uh, experience. I can say that I did next to no research uh, going into my fellowship. Um, The most I really did was just kind of put together like a questionnaire about uh, opioid education at our school and assessing, um, ironically, misconceptions about opioid treatment and and the typical user from P1 to P3 year. Uh, Aside from that, I really didn't do anything. Um, I I like research, I guess, and I stay up to date on it, but I never really did any myself. I don't know. Did you, did you guys have different experiences? I don't know, like Sona or even Sergio or Alex. Uh,
1: I'm, I'm going to share because I was one of those people who had no idea what research and industry necessarily was. Cause I, I came from uh, I have a four year degree and then I worked for a year. I spent time in labs. Um, and, and that's all I knew that was research to me, uh, bench, bench chem and uh So, I actually participated in an APPE. I participated in clinical research. And I had one little tab on my CV about it. And I got asked about it a bunch of times. And it was like, I kind of brushed it off. "Ah, Well, you know, I did that, but, um, you know, I, I wasn't that involved. But I think the point that, People were trying to pull from me because I didn't necessarily know how to interview for these types of positions. So what people, good interviewers do is they actually try to see, they know that the best candidate is not always the best interviewer and the best interviewer is not always the best candidate. So when you, when you have a good interviewer, they're picking through your CV and they might pull you along because they see you on paper and they see who they have who may not know themselves yet. You have to remember that coming out of pharmacy school, how much interview experience do people have? It, not a lot. So I didn't even know to mention it in clinical research fellowship interviews uh, because I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest. But um, I do think that a strong understanding of the scientific method, whether that's in clinical research or in other ways that you can demonstrate that are are important for different types of role. But Nick, you're, you're in regulatory, SONA, you're in marketing, so it may be a different different uh, thought process there. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't live that life. So, but maybe Sona, any misconceptions that you'd like to address?
2: Yeah, sure. So I was actually just going to address what I said earlier. You don't always have to apply to a hundred companies. <laughs> um, what it really comes down to is, you know, having experience that's valuable and something you're able to speak to, right? So even if it's that one experience, like you had mentioned, um, and it comes up in different interviews, but if you're able to speak to it and able to really how what you've gained from that position is is going to be valuable in what you're going to do. Um, I think that's really uh, something that interviewers are looking for. Um, and a lot of it comes down to soft skills as well. It's not necessarily what you just have on the resume. It's really how you fit with the team, um, how you communicate and how you kind of portray yourself. So I think that's something um, to keep in mind. It's not exactly everything that you have on the resume. Um, obviously, when I was going through the process, that was something that was really important to me. You know, I, I knew that I had to have X, Y, and Z on my resume. But looking back, I think um, it's good to have a few things, but also important to focus on soft skills, um, and as that's a huge part of every interview.
0: I would also say that like, I have a, a meta misconception that I would address, which is I, I don't think that any advice well i shouldn't say any advice I, there are so many different companies and fellowships and interviewers and people that are involved in this process that you're going to find little idiosyncrasies in in different places, so you might go for an interview in one place um, where they've really emphasized, you know, clinical research experience or something like that, and another one where they really want you to demonstrate leadership experience. So, different companies, different interviewers, different departments—they all have mm-hmm. different things that they value, and you know, you're weighing those those different factors. And so, I think. You know, there's really not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to advice on how to get a fellowship. There, there, there are some things that I think are foundational. You know, demonstrating a, a real commitment and understanding as to what you're getting yourself into, um, demonstrating some good relevant experience there. But I think there's so much more that's highly dependent on the team and the, the company and the interviewer that you're that you're in front of at that particular moment. Um, and so, what you know, the advice that I would give folks is. You know, try to network and connect to folks at those companies that you're really interested in to get a flavor for their culture, the things that they value, um, so that that way you know you know what the skills and experiences you need are to to develop along the way. Because um, I think there there's such a there's an industry around fellowship advice. I like had to land a fellowship and stuff like that. And a lot of that rings true, um, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work a hundred percent of the time, you know, for every interview, for every company, for every department. Otherwise people would be getting, you know, five or 10 mm-hmm. offers a <laughs> fellowship. Right. So I think, you know, that's what, uh, you know, I would encourage folks to look for is finding that good match, you know, of a company and an interview in a department that has the same values that you do and you know values the experiences and skills that you have. And that might not actually be through a fellowship. And there's lots of other ways to get into the industry, whether it's contracting or other, you know, junior entry-level roles. Um, and finding what's right for you, I think, is more important necessarily than like absolutely positively trying to land a fellowship. There's there's plenty of other ways to, to get into the industry
2: yeah Yeah. and I, i guess
3: just touching on that point too i think that really has been something i realized throughout the fellowship process is that everyone gives very different advice and there is no blanket advice so ironically that could be the best advice is don't you don't necessarily need to listen to one set person like take in as much advice as you can and then cherry pick what you like from that you can apply that to your own processes um you know i i talked to students going through i talked to fellows people in the industry meme pages other pages that were out there uh that fellows had put together like any experience i could get uh or any any advice that i could get i was trying to cherry pick and and apply to my own experience and i think to alex what you said earlier you kind of um like found out a couple weeks before mid-year about the fellowship experience. I think if you, and relating to what Sona said, if you have those skills, um, you know, someone that just found out about fellowship might be able to get through. But if there's others that necessarily might not have those soft skills or not as driven or not as familiar with the industry, networking can really help bring you up to speed and even the playing field. So um, yeah, definitely. I, I like that point. Not There's no one set of advice or roadmap that you can follow it's just kind of gaining different experiences from people and and matching that to your own
0: so we've been chatting here for a while and we we haven't spoken about what you guys are working on with the nfc and i feel i I would be remiss if not to bring that up and so i'd I'd love to hear from you guys maybe what are some of the top priorities that you guys have for the nfc looking into this this coming year and what are some ways that students and fellows can can get involved maybe sona if you want to start and then nick you can add on
1: and can i just ask because i'm not familiar what is the nfc
2: Wow, you don't know what the NFC is? Yeah. It's an acronym. Help me out. <laughs> it's not just it a is.
3: football division.
2: <laughs> uh, so it's a National Fellows Council. Um, so Nick and I help lead. Uh, we are the co-chiefs for the past year, and we'll be continuing on as well with um, a few others joining us. Um, and so what it is, it's really just um, a lot of fellows getting together and working on various different initiatives um, that help kind of attribute either to professional development or working with students um so we work on the the vipk's competition uh we work very closely to that as well and something that i kind of helped take part of this past year as well so creating the competition grading all the submissions um and then we also do quite a few initiatives to help get fellows uh better connected so trying to have different happy hours um and just networking or social events
3: yeah so uh, obviously i i try to support um Sona's initiatives, wherever I can, especially with the VIP case, I'm also a little bit more siloed in what we call the fellows development committee. So um, under my team, we have like the social media and marketing team, which fully supports all of IPHO's social media channels, getting content out for both students and fellows. Um, You've probably seen, hopefully the podcast up and, and advertised. And usually that involves uh our our team especially melissa who's been amazing um agreed and yeah Mm -hmm. and uh you know we we have a publications team mentor match team uh just all things to to help support both student and fellow and then uh recently i've I've kind of taken over the responsibilities of the professional programming committee which uh again is just more programming for fellows um getting out webinars uh, this is also where the national student meeting uh, team members sit. So obviously there's a lot of students developing that gigantic meeting, uh, but we have a lot of fellows also supporting the infrastructure of that and giving our perspective of what students might want to to see.
0: So you suggested there's a lot of folks that are involved in that effort. For anybody who's listening and you know would like to get involved, they're intrigued by what they hear. How can they go about doing that?
3: Yeah, so I guess from a fellow's perspective, um, definitely get in contact with uh, myself or Sona or even Jim Alexander um, or go on the IPHL website and, and there's a whole tab that explains what the NFC is and everyone that's on it. I I think we're somewhere between like 70 and 80 fellows all across the country in different types of fellowships. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing that we're really going to be focusing on the year ahead is not only maintaining the support of fellows and students, but also creating a bond between the NFC itself and really, uh, supporting like camaraderie between us getting to know everyone, especially in these virtual environments who knows, uh, what, what the year ahead looks like. So yeah, definitely get in touch with one of us. Um, we'll be sending out kind of mass emails, I guess, to anyone that we know is going to be heading into a fellowship and, um, I guess just stay alert. Well, look,
0: I'm really looking forward to seeing what the NFC is going to accomplish in the year ahead. It sounds like there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. I had a blast um, this evening. I'm so appreciative that you guys took the time to, to come on the show. Looking forward to having you guys back on maybe sometime soon so we can find out about how some things are going uh, with the NFC. Um, is there any, you know, last piece of advice that you would give to uh, students before we wrap up?
2: Just, you know, follow your passions and, uh, Definitely reach out to us and use IPHO. They have a lot of great information and resources. Um, but you know, thank you both for having us. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you,
1: guys. Thanks so much. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. You can also visit us on the IPHO website to provide feedback and learn how to get involved.
0: Please do it because we need your help. Until next time, take care and stay safe.